Oh man, oh man, oh man. It's like every time this show starts, I get started with the phrase, oh man, because there's so much to get to, so much excitement and jubilation and tomfoolery and any combination of those three things. Welcome, welcome once again. We are back, back again. We are back. Tell a friend. You can tell them, by the way, it's, it's Rashawn Merle and Alex Riddle here on Sudden Depth with that deep, deep dive down into some pretty interesting proverbial thoughts in speaking of words. And then the opposite of that is like, it's the yin and yang of deep and whatever the opposite of deep is. Um, I have no idea. Literally no idea. I have figuratively no idea. So that is uh, what makes the world go around, I suppose. Or something to that effect. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> See? Oh, See, man, oh, on man, you. oh, man. Exactly right. How was your uh, weekend? Did you do anything um, fun? It, it, was, uh, it was good. Did you, did you fly anywhere? Did you go on a plane? Mm, no, I pretty much stuck around here. Like, literally this, this like, four-foot, four-square-foot space right here. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, this studio, um... It's uh, it's not exactly what you would call uh, spacious or vast, but you're gonna start inspiring envy in people if you <laughs> tell them what our studio is like. Oh, Everyone's gonna be like, "Man, I wish I had a studio oh, like man. that." There's a white wall and a white guy, and uh, that's the studio, folks. So, speaking of white guys, <laughs> let's talk about colored people. I mean, people of color. Which idiots today don't realize is the same thing. <laughs> that that seems totally unrelated, Rashawn, to the size of the studio. But okay, can, can you explain to me, um, as a uh, people of color? Well, is there a mouse in my pocket? What a people! I take issue with the people in that phrase, not anything else. Um. Uh, okay. Duly noted. Uh, as a persons of color. There you go. <laughs> Much better. Um. As a for some reason plural human, right. the um, can you explain to me why uh, why the same thing has come back as the so-called politically correct term? Um, all except now apparently it's in a foreign language, and we say, "Oh, come step into my house of red. Um, look at this beautiful door of." Uh, wood. <laughs> Apparently, that's how we talk now. Oh, I see. We we speak French, I think. I think. Sacre bleu. We do I, that. Yeah, we do that. So that that's just uh that's just an aside. I think we're gonna get to um, uh, people of color later in the episode. Okay, well I'll save my explanation for later in the episode. All right. There's something just... to look forward to, but not too forward to. Right. You don't want to kind of fall down and. And on your face, that would be painful. You know who else fell down on his face? This guy on United Airlines uh, the other day. Segway game strong this morning. Hashtag Segway game. We shouldn't start patting ourselves on the back. Only 4.20 into the episode. What? We'll wait until at least 8.20 to the episode. How about that? We'll double the time. So let's talk about this United, uh, what do you call it, a fiasco? Well, yes. uh, That's... Literally, the description of this episode as to the description of what's uh, going on here. It's fiasco in, in all aspects. This is a show full of fiascos, and the first one is on United Airlines. Now, 
surely you've been on a plane before, and sometimes when you get up to the gate, as they call it, you'll have some hoity-toity flight attendant type character in a ridiculous vest that'll tell you, (laughs) well, I know you paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars, sometimes over the thousand dollar mark for this particular flight you're about to go on, but uh, saw we, we have apparently sold too many tickets for this flight. You see, there are this many seats on the flight, and yet we sold a number that is greater than this many to the people that are around here. So there are more people rearing and ready to fly than we have seats available. So we do an auction thingamajig where we auction off uh, bribes, gift cards, hotel accommodations, extra money so that one of you suckers gets the Hades off of the flight and so other people can get on. And so that's what typically happens at the gate. You know, that's happened on flights on which I've been and probably on flights on which you have been. Would I be correct in that assertion? That is correct. It's so the, the funny thing is that normally happens at the gate before anyone gets on the plane. However, in, AKA this, in a reasonable, relatively reasonable fashion. Yeah, only relatively reasonable. A more reason, somewhat more reason, a marginally more reasonable <laughs> fashion. <laughs> And we'll get into why the idea of overbooking a flight in the first place is not reasonable. But for the purpose of this particular anecdote, they, in this situation, uh, they uh, herded all the passengers on the plane, in the seats, rearing and ready to go. And then out of nowhere, up, 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 we've got some people who are more important than you who didn't pay for this flight. They work for us. And so... We're going to let these four employees of United Airlines on this already full flight from Chicago to, let's say, Louisville. And four of you suckers are going to have to get off. Now, we can do this the easy way or the not-so-easy way. See? Yeah. And so the easy way, of course, was offering a voucher of some sort of $800. But I would imagine the tickets for flights from Chicago to somewhere down south like Louisville would cost about $800 or more. So that's probably... Well, I think they give you... I mean, I think they give you a new flight. They're not just going to leave you in the airport. Right, they give you a new flight, and then they give you the, the voucher for... Cash. Yeah, but I don't even know if they gave them, like, a hotel, an offer them a hotel room to stay overnight, because apparently this was the last flight of the day out of Chicago, out of O'Hare, to their destination. Yeah, So I mean, I, I think that... I'm, I imagine they probably did, but, um, you know, that doesn't really – just because they offered a few extra thingamabobs, that doesn't really justify what they have done. No, and what they have done to what he's referring is, well, no one wanted the stinking $800. And so then they say, uh, we're going to do this the hard way. See, meow, uh, over there. That's, that's the Chicago accent, by the way. That's how they speak over there when they're really threatening. It's like mafia mob type-ish, Italian-y. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. I'm a, an expert in Italian mob, mafia type-y speak, by the way. I, yeah. I did a road show last year. It was the, the mafia type Merle Italian-y road shows all last fall. It was fantastic. Oh, there were dozens and dozens of seats sold for that show but that's neither here nor there the first time a black dude's ever done a minstrel show of italian dudes i don't 
I don't think that the race aspect was necessary to insert in that. Uh, We've already started talking about it, so we can't, we can't stop. Yes. <laughs> Once you go black, you don't go back, as they say. Precisely. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. Really roundabout way to get there, but I see what you did nonetheless. Now, now back to this anecdote, as we were discussing here. So, you know, there's a, a plane full of passengers, and four of them have got to get off. So says United Airlines, because they're all too important non-paying uh, flyers, which are the employees who supposedly had to get to some other place to, I don't know, do some other thing. They got priority on an already full flight, so that was rather silly. And so they tried to bribe them to get off, and I guess some of them, some of the four people got off. But there was this one guy, um, this gentleman, 69-year-old. Asian male who uh, had to, he says, get back to Louisville for his patients. He's a doctor, you see, and he really needed to get back there the next morning. This uh, supposedly was the last flight of the day on United, and so he was not going to give up his seat. And you know, he did pay for the flight. Why should he give up his seat for some dopey employees who, you know, should have been somewhere else? And so, uh, <laughs> well said. Yes, thank you. Bunch of dopes. They want a bunch of dopes. Bunch of schmucks. That's what they are. And Whoa, so, now well, <laughs> was that too far? Does that cross the red this, line? This podcast is Hashtag for, foreshadowing. It's for children. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I see. Uh, so, the guy wasn't going to get off, and so they sent on board a bunch of jackbooted thugs. I mean, plane security officers to yank him off, and uh, well. In the age of the cell phone camera, everyone has video, and this is the, these are the sounds and sights of what ensued next. As they drag him down the aisle with a busted, bloody lip. And so, of course, you hear him screaming uh, for his life. You might have thought that was Alex stubbing his toe, but no, that was uh, this passenger getting yanked off by these two um, big, scary-looking fellows. And they, they yanked him out of the seat and then they hit his head on the armrest across the aisle. And so he started bleeding all over his face when his lip got busted as they dragged him down the aisle. And this video has gone viral for all the wrong reasons. And as you would imagine, this was a, a well-deserved PR disaster for United Airlines getting, you know, all kinds of hate on social media where pretty much hate starts nowadays for any kind of viral video like this. And so, you know, this kind of before we get into the reaction of the airline, which was appalling in and of itself. Uh, first, we can talk about why this happened, how we got here. Well, we got here, and this doesn't even seem like a situation where they actually overbooked the flight, from what I understand. It really is just there was a full flight, and then they demanded that four more airline employees be granted seats on this flight that uh, you know they originally were not going to be on, so... Right. That's a problem in and of itself. But, you know, it does raise the specter of the problem with selling more tickets to something than is space available. That's not something that happens on in like a stadium where you go to C 
see the Yankees or whatever sports team of your choice you decide to go see. They don't, you know, sell more seats for those places than they do. Um, then they have spaces available. They don't do it at like a, a hotel. You know, when the hotel's yeah. full, the hotel's full. Yeah, it's pretty funny. The, um, the, the thing that's interesting about airlines is their business practices are basically terrible. Yes. All the way around from start to finish. Um, none of them make a profit. Did you know that about airlines? They literally make losses every year and they're basically like propped up. Um, At least until recently. There's been some the, shady practices that well, have allowed the, those Southwest profits. Gen- Southwest generally uh, makes a profit because, you know, they, uh, um, they keep costs low. They don't have a bunch of silly nonsense on their uh, flights. They don't do stuff like this. That doesn't make any sense. Um, they have made a profit as far as I know the past few, uh, past length of years. And apparent, I remember apparently one, uh, maybe like 2010, 2011, something like that. 2012, 2013. I don't know. So <laughs> let's just say it was Some a year in the past, it was a year in there. Um, I think Delta also made a profit because they were, uh, technically made a profit because they were bailed out, um, by the United States government. Imagine that after they went bankrupt. So like, Airlines are terrible. That's the, they're, they're not good at what they do. Quite the understatement. Yeah. Um, United is apparently the worst. And this is, this is especially bad for us uh, here in uh, H-Tizzy because, um, you know, this is a United hub. So if we're going to boycott United, we don't really have any flights that we can – we don't have any places we can fly to. Well, um, if United goes under, then we have an empty airport. Well, you know, one of the airports at least has – one line that goes from Houston to Atlanta, that's a Delta line that I typically take myself when I go back to the family or the, the alma mater. you persist whatever. in being a Delta man. Oh, yes. Delta till I, I decide to stop taking Delta. Who knows when that's going to be? So, you know, at least they don't have this. Now, there's some reasoning behind the overbooking process, and... Apparently, that has to do some with this kind of uh, idea of flexibility in buying tickets. Uh, supposedly, United Airlines allows passengers to refund or like cancel their tickets and get some sort of refund of some sort or pay an extra charge to change planes. And so the greedy, illegitimate children at United Airlines want to uh, purchase more seats than are available so that those people who cancel or don't show up, their seats are refilled and they get that extra money that was going to be lost. Um, does that justify yanking someone out of their seats and bashing their head against the, the armrest? Uh, of course not. And, you know, if only they had paid more money to those folks uh, to get off the plane, you know, at some point someone's going to take the money instead of sitting there. You know, you, they might not take $800, but they might take $1,800. Thousand eight hundred dollars. You know, there's some point at which there's like a, it's like a graph where the two lines are going up and up and up, and at some point they intersect. I was not a math major, so I never got those questions right with the graphs. But this is Rashomadamanomics over here. It's the airline asymptote, if you will. Rashomadamics. <laughs> yeah. So there are many other ways that you can handle a situation like this. Number one, you don't kick off paying customers for some ring-a-ding employee somewhere. Rinky dink, whatever the phrase is. Uh, number two, you offer more money like that incentives, like what people did. Um, 
but whatever you, you don't so do this. What do they do? Just keep keep offering more and more money? Of course. At some point. Well, at some point, people are going to be like, oh, I think I'll just let it go up a little bit more, and then I'll get off. Oh, they're still offering. It's at, uh, you know, you know, $3,000 a piece to get off this plane. Like, what what would be your number? Um, Well, if you have to. Hmm. I'm thinking. This is thinking. My is, thinking time. This is awkward. Oh, man. Thinking so hard, so hard. Thinking. Okay, I got it. I finally got it. What is, what is that ringtone? Is that Switchfoot? See, most people probably didn't even hear the ringtone very well, but now that you brought it up. What, what is that, Chris Tomlin? <laughs> don't even need to get into what that is because that is not relevant to what we're doing here. So um, what I'll say is people are going to take the money at some point. Like the, there's going to be someone who takes $3,000. And so what if one person takes $3,000 and then no one else gets off and then someone waits till 3500 and then. They give him thirty five hundred, and then the person with, who took the three thousand is like, "Wait a sec, I want thirty five hundred. Well, they're obviously not going to get that. They're already off the plane at that point. So you get off the plane, and then you give the money. So oh, I'd 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 raise hell about that for sure. I'd say you guys better give me that money. Well, but that's a situation. That's your problem. That's not an international United problem that goes around the world in viral videos. So that's you know they they'll take that one person as opposed to millions of people raising Hades about I, what they did. Yeah. Um, speaking of the, so far we've seen the reaction has uh, produced some pretty great memes, um, some pretty great trolling. I wonder what else uh, is going to happen. What could happen is uh, our sudden death show staff could tweet and or Facebook some of these memes out on our Twitter page, which of course, as you know, is twitter.com at sudden death show and or facebook.com slash sudden death show. You can probably see these, I'm sure, in the very near future, the specific memes about what you're talking. Yeah, let's, let's uh, talk to the intern about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some of the memes you've seen? That, that, that old turd Japan has been a... Whoa. Again, this been is, a as you said, this is a kid's show. Yeah, kids as love turds. No, they don't. That's, That's inaccurate. their most... So, well, um, yeah. So, I mean, w- this is definitely going to hurt their business in the short term. I'm not sure this is going to be the end of United. Um. The, and I mean, I don't think that. I, I was just wondering if you had any may, maybe thoughts on uh, what the backlash might entail. Well, we've seen some of the backlash, the uh, negative press coverage, number one, um, outrage on, on social media, number two. You know, when these kinds of things happen and some big company generates bad public relations, you can go onto their Twitter page and or their Facebook page. And what you'll see is no matter what the post that this company puts out, wow, they probably did hear that, by the way. Um, no matter what the kind of post the company puts up, the comments related to that post are all related to whatever the controversy du jour is. And so let's see. Let's, let's test it out, shall we? So if you go to you, if you were online Tuesday morning um, and you went to United Facebook page. Well, they've got the the statement from the CEO we're going to talk about in a second, responding to the the controversy. And there's also some story about uh, 500 disabled veterans and their supporters being, I guess, featured in the National Disabled Winter Sports Clinic. Uh, I'm not sure how that happens. Let's check the comments to the story about the disabled veterans at the National Disabled Winter Sports Clinic. Let's see here. Um, 
Let's see. It was five hours late, and you lost your first class seat. Oh, and your luggage went somewhere else really far away. <clears throat> that doesn't have a lot to do with uh, <laughs> the disabled veteran, I don't think so. Um, there's another one. OMG, are you people at United out of your minds? Have you seen the news and Twitter? <laughs> have you seen the news and Twitter? Nothing will ever erase the image from my mind of a doctor being dragged from his seat screaming, then bloodied and brutally dragged down the aisle because you overbooked the flight, then demanded he give up the seat to one of your staff. My God, horrible. Nothing justifies that. This comment, again, coming from the story about the National Disabled Winter Sports Clinic. Dead dang, Superman. <laughs> so, I mean... I mean, those are the consequences that we're seeing in the short term, as you say. And now, the story in and of itself is bad enough. Having that poor character dragged bloody down the aisle because you forced him to give up his seat that he paid for. But then there's also the response by, well, United Airlines itself. Uh, The CEO's name is a character by the name of Oscar Munoz. And uh, he says, in part in his statement, quote, this is an upsetting event for all of us here at United. I apologize for having to reaccommodate, reaccommodate these customers. <laughs> um, so the apology is for the reaccommodation. I don't know if English is his second language or your second language. <laughs> it's both. <laughs> it's both. All right. <laughs> He's apologizing for having to reaccommodate the passengers, not for yanking him out of the seat and bashing his head against the side of an armrest and dragging him down the aisle and humiliating him. Reaccommodate is like the euphemism of the century. <laughs> right. Uh, like, oh, I'm sorry for reaccommodating your face into the seat. <laughs> That's basically what uh, they said on this situation. Um, now, what our sudden death team did put on Facebook recently is the reaction from the people who actually yanked him out of the seat, i.e. the officers, because, you know, that's part of the story here as well. Who are these officers who came on board and yanked him out of the seat? Are they Chicago O'Hare airport police officers? Are they security personnel that belong to United? And by belong, I, of course, mean are hired by United. Well, uh, we took a look at that here at Sudden Depth, and we got a statement, and by we, I mean lawnews.com. Got a statement about... uh, from the Chicago Police Department about what exactly happened here. And what the Chicago PD says is, at approximately 6 p.m., a 69-year-old male Asian airline passenger became irate after he was asked to disembark from a flight that was oversold. The passenger in question began yelling to voice his displeasure, at which point the aviation police were summoned. Aviation officers arrived on scene, attempted to carry the individual off of the flight when he fell. His head subsequently struck an armrest, causing injuries to his face. The man was taken to Lutheran General Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Ongoing investigation. So, a few things here. Number one, Chicago PD uh, wants nothing to do with this. They blame the, quote, aviation officers. It wasn't them. It was the aviation officers. Number two, I love the way that they characterize this. And by love, I mean hate. They say uh, the officers attempted to carry the individual off of his flight. as he's Julius Caesar being carried down the street by six of his servants. Uh, and then 
he, he then when he fell, he wasn't, you know, grabbed and banged against the side of an armrest. He just, you know, tripped, tripped over a rock or something. And he accidentally fell and hit his head on, on the side of an armrest. It's just, it's just, it's infuriating at one level, but it's, it's disconcerting, whatever that means, at another level. Why is no one, even in all the aftermath of these public relations, going to be honest and tell us precisely what happened here and stop using this language like, we're sorry we had to reaccommodate him. Oh, we were carrying him off. We were doing him a favor, and he just happened to trip and fall. It's, that, that is going to make the story and the outrage that much worse, the response. We're definitely outraged over here. Oh, yes. This is a uh, sudden outrage today. So, yes, that's, that's what it is. Sudden and then prolonged outrage. Who's talking language is English now? Ooh. Dang. Uh, you, you zanged me. <laughs> that, you zanged me for sure. All right. Let's uh, move on to something else because this makes me want to die. That sounds inappropriate on so many levels. Okay, well, something else is another big story garnering headlines this week, and that is, well, Syria. There's a country called Syria. It's, it's over in the... This is serious, you guys. Get it? I don't get it. All right. Let's, let's keep going then. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. So Syria, as you should know... Uh, engaged in a chemical bombing, a chemical weapons bombing attack this week. Sound like you've just given up all hope. Well, it is a pretty dire situation over there, uh, especially for those who live there and who are being gassed in the streets on one level and bombed out of existence on another level. As you know, there's an ongoing civil war in Syria, and the civil war has been raging for several years now. Uh, so, you know, that would mean that most of the civil war was happening during the Obama administration. Remember Barack Obama? He was the guy who used to be the president of the United States. I, I remember him. Right. And so let's, uh, let's have a little story time here. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's kind of – Oh, thank you. Let us set the scene as opposed to tomatoes at the scene. Let us. Do you get that? That was – all right. Okay, fine. Looks like someone doesn't like lettuce over here. Jeez, Louise. Anyway, uh, so in 2012, uh, Barack Obama stood in, in the White House brief, the press briefing room, and he drew a red line in the sand or on the ground. Figuratively or, speaking. Right. And they don't have sand in the, uh, in the White House, do they? Probably not. They have a bowling alley, but I don't think they have a beach. Uh, they might have a playground, though, because, you know, Sasha and Malia had to play somewhere, right? And there's probably, like, a sandbox. You think? No, but it could be. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, like I was saying, so Barack Obama drew a red line in somewhere back in 2012. You know, in the summer of 2012, he was, you know, running for re-election against Mitt Romney, saying, you know, uh, when Mitt Romney said... Russia is our biggest geopolitical threat, and then Rick Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah, uh, go on. Thank you, I appreciate that. Russia is our biggest threat, and then Barack Obama's like, "Oh, the 1980s called, and you can have your foreign policy back, or something <laughs> to that effect." Well, around that same period of time, you see, good one, bro, Obama. He was, <laughs> bro, Obama, as you called him, was trying to flex his geopolitical muscle against Syria and drew a red line, saying this. 
we have been very clear to the Assad regime, but also to other players on the ground that a red line for us is we start seeing a whole bunch of chemical weapons moving around or being utilized. Uh, that would change my calculus. That would change my equation. Okay, did you hear that? So a red line for us would be if Syria starts using, utilizing his word, chemical weapons. That would, quote, change the equation. Mm-hmm. It, it is really funny to, uh, um, you know, compare, I guess, different uh, rhetorical styles. Oh, this is going to be our yeah. moment of Lenny P. Linguist lips of the week. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, compare what, what we just heard from Obama to, like, Trump, for example. Um, you know, Obama's like, red line and um for us that's what you know and then trump is there like using the babyest of words and just like yelling them you know like nothing over two syllables well it makes me easier to understand that's for sure well no i mean i think uh for something like this it's much more effective I don't think there's even a on uh, a visceral like, emotional level. Yeah, certainly. like th- this is his this is him saying giving his like red line in the sand or whatever. I stopped listening basically <laughs> after, you know, two words right. because well for one Obama pauses for about I'd say on average 6 seconds between every word. Yes. Um yeah, so I mean that makes me want to blow my brains out a little he, bit. His, the tone of his voice sure didn't sound like someone who has drawn a red line in the in the on the ground, like, you know, Yosemite Sam back in the old West days. Yeah, yeah. right. He, he's like, well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, people can just forget about this if I don't actually act on my uh, red line that I allegedly drew. Right. And so if I say it slowly enough, no one will remember. <laughs> well, people did remember that, that statement because it really became one of the defining moments of the Obama presidency. And not in a very good sense, because you see, the very next year, uh, on August 21st of 2013, well, Bashar al-Assad, who is the dictator of Syria, he used chemical weapons, uh, which, by the way, is a war crime, on his own people against civilians. And then, well, that pretty much would have triggered the red line that Obama said, because you said if... If Syria starts utilizing chemical weapons, that's going to be a red line for us. It will change the equation, change the calculus. You heard him there. And so it was time for Obama's calculus slash equation to be changed because the red line had been crossed. And, you know, Barack Obama didn't do anything. But then everyone was like, hey, Obama, you said red line. You said calculus slash equation would be changed upon utilization of chemical weapons. <laughs> what was Obama's response? Well, as usual, he didn't take responsibility. He tried to shift blame and or lie thusly. First of all, I didn't set a red line. The world set a red line. No. The world set a red line when governments representing 98% of the world's population said uh, the use of chemical weapons are abhorrent and passed a treaty forbidding their use even when countries are engaged in war. Congress set a red line when it ratified that treaty. My credibility is not on the line. The international community's credibility is on the line. Wishful thinking. So 
So it's not Obama who set the red line. It's, it's the world who set the red line. It's, it's Congress who set the red line. It's the baker down the street. He set the red line. Uh, what about... Uh, blame the baker. Yeah, blame the baker and the candlestick maker. They're the ones with the red lines. Y'all know this uh, muffin man? <laughs> the muffin man? The, the muffin man? He's the one who set the muffin man. Go get him. He's on jury lane. So they, these people set the red lines. Everyone but Obama did. Uh, now, for context, let's play one more time the red line that Obama said. We have been very clear to the Assad regime, but also to other players on the ground so that clear. Clear right a red now. line for us is we start seeing a whole bunch of chemical weapons moving around or being utilized. Uh, that would change my calculus. That would change my equation. So the thing is, chemical weapons were not only moving around, they were also utilized in killing the people, of, the civilian people of Syria. And so um, this was a great example of Barack Obama lying his face off and trying to shift blame. There's, now, we did a whole episode on Donald Trump lying and not taking responsibility for things, but people seem to forget those same people who are jumping up and down, grabbing their hair and yanking it out because of Donald Trump's supposed lies. They forget about all the lies that came out of the last administration. You know, any, you know Barack Obama says, no, I didn't set a red line. The world said red line. Congress wow. said red line. <laughs> that's, uh, um, that's part of my road show with the mafia and the, and the Italian mob. That was my second. That was at the intermission second act part of the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. that, that's where you put the black face on over your white face. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Rashawn, I think, is out of commission after that one. <laughs> Rashawn, I do not have a defibrillator handy, so please don't die. This will for sure be considered a hate crime. <laughs> can we, can we <laughs> not say this like that on the air? I am begging you. Don't do that. <laughs> Why? It's funny. <laughs> Derail the whole show when you do stuff like that. Jeez. <clears throat> anyway, as I was trying to articulate here, um, <laughs> Obama's a big fat liar. Lied his face off there. Uh, so, after that, there's, you know, some sort of alleged... There's a recovery. There was an alleged negotiation with uh, Russia and Syria and you know, the chemical weapons were all removed from Syria. Every last one of them were all gone. Now, don't take my word for it. Take the word of, well, Obama and, and all his, his Democrat friends. Listen to this. It turns out we're getting chemical weapons out of Syria without having initiated a strike. So what else are you talking about? We've got the chemical weapons. We're getting the chemical weapons out of Syria. Well, uh, Chris, all you have to do is look at the fact that today, the final 8% of chemical weapons uh, were taken out of Syria. We should commend the administration for the result that they got. The removal of chemical weapons out of Syria is a substantial accomplishment. We certainly worked with them in Syria to, uh, to bring all the chemical weapons out of Syria. We struck a deal where we got 100% of the chemical weapons out. 100% of the declared chemical weapons out of Syria. We kept chemical weapons or got chemical weapons out of the area. We got, as you know, last year all the chemical weapons out of Syria. Uh, no small feat. Syria eliminating its chemical weapons 
and ultimately having them destroyed by the international community. Syria would still have a declared chemical weapons stockpile. Right now, they don't. Right now, Bashar al-Assad does not have a declared chemical weapons stockpile. We removed that declared chemical weapons stockpile, and we destroyed that declared chemical weapons stockpile, which means that Bashar al-Assad... All right, so they go on and on and on. These are all Obama administration officials and Democrats saying there's no chemical weapons in Syria. We got them all out. You heard John Kerry, the former Secretary of State, there saying 100% of the chemical weapons are out of Syria. Well, of course, they all said these things last year. And this year, the chemical weapons that are all out of Syria were used to in Syria to kill civilians yet again. So... You have uh, not just Barack Obama lying his face off. You have a whole horde of Obama acolytes lying their faces off. Because, you know, if the chemical weapons are out of Syria, how were they used in Syria just a few days ago to kill all those people? Oh, I know, because they weren't all out of Syria. The 100% of chemical weapons that were supposedly out of Syria were still in Syria. Right, right. And it was was absolutely wishful thinking to believe that uh, they were all out. Like, it's pretty silly. Well... I mean, it's not just wishful thinking. It's also downright lying because the State Department knew that these chemical weapons were still in Syria. They sent out a report that basically said, uh, we cannot verify that all of these chemical weapons are out of Syria. Um, that was in April of last year. And yet, mm. all these people are, after April of last year, even up to as early as January of this year, saying, <laughs> don't you worry, all the chemical weapons, they're out of Syria. And so let's pat ourselves on the back because we, without shooting a single shot, we got all the weapons out of Syria. Um, of course, once again, lying their faces off. It's like a face full of lies here. It's, it's like, you know, you can't even see their faces because there's so many lies going on. But, you know, the problem with lying your faces off is we get to see right through you. It's like a burqa of lies. I suppose that's the one way to put it. Uh, We're super politically correct on this show. People of color. Or the Gather. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the State Department put out this statement that said in part that this was April last year. Syria failed to meet most of its milestone destruction dates. Syria was obligated to declare its entire chemical weapons program. The Syrian declaration contained obvious gaps, discrepancies. And omissions, says the State Department. And they said that last year. So they knew that. And they said, you know, as detailed above, thus placing the Syrian in noncompliance with the CWC declaration requirements and the additional declaration requirements. And in other words, the requirements to get rid of the chemical weapons. So the State Department knew last year that they weren't doing what they were supposed to do with the chemical weapons. They weren't getting rid of them. And yet these people are going out there like John Kerry, the head of the State Department, saying 100 percent. Of chemical weapons have been removed thanks to us. <laughs> That's why his face looks like such a mashed potato because he spent so much time lying in it. It's just kind of deteriorated over time. <laughs> That's why we call him mashed potato face around here. We, we do, we do. That's how we refer to him on the uh, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. Quite frankly, yeah, yeah which uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, so that's kind of the backstory, the backdrop as to how we got here to where we are today. And so the question is, you know, Donald Trump, he's now the president. And he decided after seeing uh, the, the little babies, as he called them, being gassed 
Uh, he decided to shoot some Tomahawk missiles into one of the Syrian airports, specifically the one that uh, the United States intelligence forces saw take off with the chemical weapons and the chemical sharing gas and gas all those people in Syria. And so he blew up the airport for the most part. And this has caused all kinds of reaction, both positive and the opposite of positive. Some of the positive reaction was you know, surprisingly bipartisan. People ranging from Marco Rubio to Chuck Schumer, Republican and Democrat, they both uh, liked the action that was taken. And there were people on both sides of the aisle as well, like Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders, who were opposed to the action. So there are all kinds of arguments here. Some of the opposition is about the idea that Donald Trump didn't seek congressional approval for taking this action. Because as you know, the Constitution says that Congress is granted the power to declare war. And even though the president has the power to execute uh, foreign policy. And he's the commander-in-chief. And there are all kinds of statutes in play here, uh, not to get into too much of the legal weeds, but uh, you know, the War of Powers Act from the 1970s gives the president the authority to react in a timely fashion to any national security threats, even though he has to see Congress's approval within 60 days. Whereas in the Authorization for the Use of Military Force, or the AUMP, as I like to call it, that was passed in 2001. It was an authorization allowing the president to fight the war on terror, essentially. However, that oomph from 2001 has been used to justify all kinds of actions by presidents. Really, there's only been two since Bush, Obama, and Trump. Um, all kinds of military actions. It was used to justify that action in Libya in 2011 when we butted our noses into the Libyan situation and ousted Gaddafi or helped to do so. And it's being used by the Trump administration in this situation to go and Tomahawk missiles. So I guess the question is, number one, is what the president did legal in the first place? And number two, what is the strategy going forward in Syria? Because as the polls would indicate, don't nobody want no troops on the ground in Syria. Uh, people are, they still remember the Iraq days very well. And don't want to get bogged down into so-called mission creep being the policemen of the world and fighting everyone's battles for them when they don't directly affect the U.S. And so, like the last administration, the Trump folks, they see the threat of chemical weapons use spreading around the world as a national security threat to the U.S. And so that's their justification for using those Tomahawk missiles. Well, that, that, I mean, that's... That's their stated justification. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure to what extent that's an actual, um, in their minds and uh, in their discussions, how much that is actually their justification for these. I'm, I'm suspect. Are you suggesting they're lying their faces off too? <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh that is what I'm suggesting. What do you really think is going on here? They didn't do what we said, so we're going to punish them. And, you know, they committed human rights violation. I, like, it's um, the... The security concerns are, uh, they're there. They are secondary or tertiary or, or tenuous. Quaternary. That's the big word I would use. Yes. They're, yeah, they're a lot more tenuous. It's like, eh, Syria's probably not going to attack us. But ISIS, you know, ISIS might. Well, we've had ISIS-inspired attacks all over the place, and even in this We country. have indeed. Um, but the, I guess the, 
you know, as far as whether or not it's legal, I tend to think it's it's pretty legal to you know fire some Tomahawk missiles on an Air Force base. Yeah, at, I mean, at not the, declaring at this, war. Right at this point, the legality is almost not worth uh, discussing because you know we've uh, we've pretty much acted as if it's legal for like several re- uh, regimes. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Scooby Doo, how are you? Oh man, mornings. Oh morning. It's morning in America, literally. Yes. Um. So we basically we've behaved as if this sort of thing is legal for a long time now. So essentially, uh, precedent would say it's legal by precedent. This is my expert legal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. P.S. Um. I don't like the legal precedent argument because that can also be used for many other avenues and aspects of law enforcement in this country that we don't enforce very well, even though they're against the law, like immigration and drug use of certain kinds and things like that. However, I would say that, you know, shooting those missiles onto that air force, that air base is not equivalent to declaring war, which, you know, Congress has the ability to declare war, but uh, this was not that. I would like to see a debate in Congress, though, which is what a lot of these libertarians slash liberals are proposing, that we debate what further action should be taken in Syria. What would be the parameters of, of more military force? You know, the Syrian government uses, you know, barrel bombs and other kinds of conventional weapons use in, in their streets. So why do we not react to those, but we react to chemical weapons? Like, what is the line at which we decide to jump in and, and save those people. Um, so there's that aspect. There's also, you know, the Russia-Iran angle. They're, for whatever reason, seem to be on serious side in this situation. Russia saying... For whatever reason. For whatever reason. <laughs> Russia saying that they didn't use... That it wasn't Syria who used those chemical weapons. It was, I don't know, Smokey the Bear or somebody. Um, and Iran chemically is a bear. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's correct. And of course, Iran is just basically a bad actor all the way around. And so those two, Russia and uh, Iran, along with Syria, are saying, hey, U.S., you better not do that again or else. Now, can they really back up the or else if we were indeed to do that again? Who knows? We'll we'll find out if if Assad has the the gall, the gumption, the the gonads, the stones to use those chemical weapons yet again. Because if that were to happen, that would be a real test for this new president and this new administration. The president, by the way, who went on and on about saying America first, we can't police the world anymore. We've got to fix all our problems here at home and not get stuck into the war in Iraq type situation. I voted, or I was against the war in Iraq, even though originally he was not. I said it would destabilize the Middle East, even though he did not. But we've got to get rid of the autoplay here. That's what we've got to do very rapidly. I, I don't understand why, uh, side note, the internet thinks it's okay to autoplay videos. It's not okay. It's really annoying. It's like pop-ups, uh, like the next phase of pop-ups. Right. We don't like pop-ups when it comes to our sexually transmitted diseases. We don't like things popping up down there. Why would we like them popping up on our web browsers? You know, I can't think of one flaw with that analogy. (laughs) (laughs) That makes the two of us. Oh, man. We're like two peas in some sort of pod-like device, if you know what I mean. Uh, Wow. I should write that down and say that more often, I think. (laughs) 
Oh, man. Uh, good times. So, back to Syria, though. There, there are bigger questions in Syria that await us in, in that, you know, when is going to be the next time we decide to act in some way, shape, or form? And what are the repercussions? Are we going to get bogged down into a, some sort of war-type situation with Iran and Russia and Syria? Is that going to be the new axis of evil right there? Man, that would be so annoying. War? I would, yeah, I would be so perturbed. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate that, as always. So those are the ongoing questions that we will continue to ask. We ask the hard questions here on Sudden Death. And so we're going to keep asking them because, well, we have nothing better to do. You know who else had nothing better to do? The left and liberal groups at Columbia University. They had nothing better to do than to segregate students based on their skin color and or sexual orientation. (laughs) Segway alert. (laughs) We have got to record that. We seriously, we're going to do that. All right. We're definitely doing that. And from now on, you will hear that very same theme when there's a segue coming on. So when either Alex or I want to Charge. move on, then we play that music right there. That's brilliant. And uh, that's, why, that's what you get at Sudden Depth here. You get quality programming. Okay, so in Ivy League school, as you all know, Columbia University, uh, they have a student council there, the Columbia College Student Council. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, they, along with the Engineering Student Council, unanimously, think about this, every single one of them, passed this boneheaded proposal back in January to designate what was the undergraduate package center, where you go to get your packages, I guess, into a minority-only space, a safe space for minorities, if you will. So uh, whitey keep out, in other words. And so what we want, what they wanted here was um, they wanted a staffer whose only duty was to pander, I mean cater, to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students. And the Columbia University Senate Student Affairs Committee, try saying that one time fast, officially unveiled the rooms on Friday. And so basically what this is, is, you know, there's one room where gay students go, and there's also a room where, let's say, black or brown or non-white students go in Columbia. Oh, colored people. Whoa, whoa, hold on there. I mean, of, of, hold sorry, on there, of color. Sorry. That's, there you go. Now I'm happy again. Of color people. That's right. You got to have the of and take off the ED at the end. Can, can I just put it like, uh, can I say like, um, of people color? Does that work? I'm I mean, only does, half outraged Does that. syntax matter? I don't know what syntax means, but I know that that only half outrages Does me. word order matter? <laughs> I know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course it matters. You have to say colored right. and then of I'm, I'm before that. I'm of people color. Okay, so that'll get half of them upset at you. But I, I might do it in a weird accent sometimes. Oh, you should do it in one of their accents. One that'll, of their accents? That'll, that'll work out well. Oh, people color. I don't know what's that. That's a black sense. That was, you got to work on that, Avery. Well, yeah, it's, it's not. What does your Latino of accent people, sound like? Of people color. That sounded like a Middle Eastern accent. No, I think that was Scottish. Or that, too. What yeah, about your Asian that, accent? That was like that was like a that was like a Scottish Syrian. Let's see your Asian accent. Um, see, this is really hard to do, especially if I'm doing just like a word. I need to I need to say like a sentence. 
Okay, say seashells, seashells by the seashore with an Asian accent. Seashells, seashells by the seashore. That was a good one. All right, I guys, I don't just do racist accents. I also do. Um, wait, see, she sells seashells by the seashore, right? Oh God, Rashawn's dying over here. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, folks. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I could do. I had no. that I had that one like super ready. What about your your gay accent? Um, see, wait, she sells seashells by the seashore. All right, you could you could probably fake your way into this room at Columbia then, because you got all the accents down. Except you know, for the black accent. I probably could. Yeah, I don't know how to do black. What if you're two percent Molly, aren't you? Well, well, we'll go into that once it's uh, at a later date. <laughs> okay. I was thinking that might actually be interesting. We could compare ancestry at some point, but uh, oh, it'll, I'm show. sure it'll be just about the same. There's like not a whit of difference between us when it comes to ancestry. I'm sure of that. I would bet uh, that two dollar bill over there on that. That's what I would bet. I'm not so sure. <laughs> okay, well we'll <laughs> see, won't we? Uh, but this issue here about. Uh, uh, segregating schools. So I thought, uh, I don't know, we got rid of that with Brown v. Board of Education, um, but maybe that's only for only for public schools. Maybe, you know, big Ivy League schools, they don't have to worry about the, you know, the anti-segregation case law out there. It, it's going to be hilarious when Brown is overturned by, um, you know, a white person suing for, or, uh, you know, uh, sorry, the a minority suing for the ability to discriminate. Yes. And that, that will be hilarious. And that day... I assume that's coming. It, it most likely is coming. We've already got to, uh, these affirmative action cases that are going up and down the court system. And so, you know, why not a, a case about these <laughs> rooms that only people of color, as they call them, or LGBTQIABC people... <clears throat> so that's uh, I mean, this by the way is not the first time we've heard of spaces on campus for just non-white right. people. Right. We've also heard about college dormitories for non-white people, and we've heard about um, you know administrators who have to be non-white to accommodate non-white people. You know, at, at our alma mater, Emory University, we had a whole house just for black people, mm-hmm. the the Black Students Association House. Yeah, uh, of course that house subsequently got subsequently got uh, removed from campus, but that's another story entirely. Um, but the fact that we had a house, and by we I mean, well, I mean we <laughs> we, we had a house in the first place. Um, See, when I, I think of BSA, I think of uh, Boy Scouts of America. Oh well, <laughs> just a fun fact of uh, things that are associated in my mind. So one of the things, so uh, there was a uh, an anonymous Columbia freshman who was quoted. Um, talking about the these uh, um, uh, segregated spaces. Um, here's the quote. There are many spaces on campus, especially those that are dominated by straight males that leave me tense. An LGBTQ plus center would offer me yet another space, yet another space, okay, where I could feel like I am safe to simply exist and be me. You know, that that's very interesting because I know as a straight male, I generally walk around with like a giant machete and I just look for uh, non-straight males and I just straight kill. white male. Yes. Well, this person didn't say white. So 
I'll give them the benefit of the oh, doubt on that. Lovely. Like, I have no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I will. But anyway, but the point being is I have a machete that I just walk around with, and I murder gay people. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. As a straight male, mm-hmm. that's what I do. That's what I do with my time. So They called you the gay reaper back at Emory. Because you yeah, that's, that. that's what I do. Yeah. I would just reap them. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, God. Not an anagram, so much y'all. The, the I promise. Part, huh? Yo, this is, we need to delete this show. We really need to. <laughs> this is bad. Too late. This is live and local and national. I anyway, what, what I was going to... What I was going to say, though, the point I was going to make is this policies like these privilege uh, people's negative feelings, their resentment and their, uh, um, you know, just like general, um, generally bad feelings that they have and animosity. uh, Yeah, their animosity, it validates them. And it even uh, sort of it, it not only says they're okay, but they're even something you should be feeling, not something you should get over and, you know. Uh, learn to overcome, right? You know, through it's, it's through your effect. resilience, through your force of will. Yeah, this. It, I mean, that's exactly what it is. So, I mean, in, in addition to being discriminatory and absurd and uh, you know pointless, we also have oh, this actually affects these people negatively. It's actually teaching them to be weak. It has unintended consequences. Yeah. Um, and by the way, are we supposed to say? LGBTQ plus now is that the new thing? So you know I don't think it matters. We I think went from gay and then we went to LGBT, then we went to LGBTQ, then I, we went to LGBTQIA. I think you're now supposed we're back to, to LGBTQ plus. Pronounce it. You, you're supposed to say ligabitikus. Okay. So that's what I'm gonna do. So the ligabitikus center. Yeah. Yeah. Plus center. <laughs> so we're kind of have to look into that what that plus means because uh, that's i think that that's the real uh part of the story that uh confounds me here and it just so happens that there is speaking of emory a link on this story at campusreform.org by the way to the aforementioned emory university they're looking to establish regular people of color only social events so you know and they have this Great picture of a, uh, a person of color looking pretty sad on the cover as well. Oh, oh man. <laughs> That's what they all look like when they don't have their own events. They look just like that with, their, with a sad, frowny face and um, their head on their hands looking to the side. Yeah. I mean, God. It's so stupid. Like, the, they, want their, they want their segregation impulses validated. It's not just enough, well, okay, we're the Black Student Association. We're allowed to, you're allowed to exist, yes. Why don't we just throw a party and see who shows up? There might be a couple of white people that show up. It's going to be majority black. So really, you have to, you have to say, um, okay, five white people who wanted to come to this party, you're not allowed. Right. Like, you guys have to go over there. It's a crazy world. The fiasco's so ridiculous. We'll be back next week with more fiasco's and nonsense just for you. Until then, sudden death. Over and out.